You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. You know today has to be about submission to authority because that's where we're at in the passage. You know, one of the most interesting things about going verse by verse in the Bible is that you just can't avoid the truth. It's right before you. It's the next verse. It's the next passage. And that's where we're at. And so we're going to deal with a very difficult subject this morning. Difficult only because as we study it, we're going to understand that understanding submission to authority is not just for those outside the church house. It is very much for those sitting in the pews. And so I'm praying that God would use this message today to be a wake-up call about authority because we have an authority problem in our country, a big one. And I think that even Christians have a hard time with authority. Um, Believers struggle with this. Let me give you some stats that I discovered and thought were very interesting because of how high they were. 81% of teachers. Now, there's a lot of teachers in our church. I happen to know that. Uh, We have a Christian school here with teachers. We have a college with a lot of teachers. We have others in our church body that teach through the public school system or even at National Park, quite a few of those. And so listen to this. 81% of teachers in a recent survey indicated that they felt that the students that they were working with currently were significantly more disrespectful than the students that they began with in their early part of their career. Wow, 81%. Significantly more disrespectful today than the students that they began teaching in the beginning of their career. 30% of Americans steal from their employer. It's a higher, three out of 10. And then of the other two thirds that don't, a third of those said they would if they could. 81% of Americans feel that the nation is weaker in terms of its respect for authority than it even was five years ago. Now, I I would be part of that 86%. I would say that I have noticed, because we are blessed to have a lot of education on our campus. We have a Christian school. We have a college. And I have noticed in the past five years a significant increase in disrespecting authority in the classroom, almost as if it's funny. It's like, what's so wrong about this? Of course, Hollywood, cartoons, authority is made fun of. And, and so we probably shouldn't wonder why it is, there's such an increase, but yet even in our own little institution here that we're very thankful for and, and, and grateful for and exciting about, we have seen a significant increase in disrespect in the classroom. In fact, this year it was so rough in the first month of our school and even our college that we've had to, on numerous occasions as administration, address it. And it's been tough. In fact, uh, I'm starting a leadership class in the Christian school here in a Christian school, but, but taking more time to invest in our school, more time in my schedule to teach leadership to our ninth through 12th grade boys at lunch on Wednesdays, every Wednesday in the cafeteria, just to help them understand how important it is to respect authority, how to behave in a classroom, how to shake someone's hand, how to address a woman, 
how to uh, say yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. How to call an authority Mr. So-and-so instead of just by their first name or some slang name. These are things that are so important, and we see a rise in such disrespect that the timing of this wake-up call is, as always, perfect. God is sovereign and knows what we need, doesn't he? And so 1 Peter 2.13 is where we're going to start in this passage, and I want you to notice this wake-up call. It begins with this, be subject, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So we're beginning here with some teaching and admonition on submission to government authority. It's very clear here, not because we agree with them, not because we always appreciate them, but why do we do it? We are subject for the Lord's sake. This is not because of a horizontal thing. This is a, a, God addresses it first as as a vertical thing. This has to do with the Lord. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Notice it says here, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. Now, they would have understood that back then because the emperor during the time of the writing of this uh, book was Nero. He would have been the emperor during the writing. So when Peter referred to the emperor, they would have known who they were talking about. You and I would think, well, I guess that's not us because we don't have an emperor, but we do have someone who is the highest ranking, uh, if you will, government official. A singular person would be for us the president of the United States of America. But then it goes on to say, not just the emperor, but also to the governors, plural, meaning everybody else underneath the president. Maybe beginning with the vice president or the secretary of state or, or, or uh, the governor or the mayor of your city or the police chief and the police and all of those that have been established by government to rule over us. The emperor, the governors, very clear here that there is someone we are to submit to in government. Now, let's start with, and in your notes, first of all, establishing the purpose for this. There is a purpose. They have a purpose. And the purpose that the government has, we're going to notice in just a moment, and and, and you don't have to put this on the screen yet, but I'm going to give you, obviously, in the passage it says uh, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. We'll come to that in just a moment. But before we get there, I want to make a few statements that unless the government is asking us to sin, we are required to submit. Now, this is important. Because obviously there are reasons why we would not submit. For instance, if they were asking me to, uh, to deny my faith for the government, I would not do that. Amen? No, I wouldn't do that. Not at all. If they were asking me to disobey Scripture, I would not submit to the government. If they were asking me to do harm to my family, I know that's against Scripture. I, w- I would not do that. But based on Acts chapter 5 and verse number 29, I say all these things. Peter said to the apostles, we must obey God rather than man. So I say the things I said based on this passage of Scripture. But it's very clear that beyond these things, it is very clear that we are to submit to governmental authority. And there are reasons why we would do that. They have a purpose. And their first purpose is to punish the evil. Notice in this passage, 
It says, uh, whether as the emperor uh, supreme or to the governor as sent by him to punish those who do evil. To punish those who do evil. That is the purpose of the government. Lawbreakers are to be punished. And a punitive judicial system is one of the great losses in our country over the last 50 years. Would you not agree? And it's cost us a lot in our country as we've seen the government not fulfill its role as, as, as much as it should. And so we see in a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 13 and verse 4, it clearly stated that they are God's servant for our good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God. He's an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Wow. Very clear in Scripture that government has a purpose. And their purpose is to punish those who do evil. But there's also a second purpose. And the second purpose is to praise those who are doing good. They are to support those who are doing good. The government is supposed to get behind those that are doing good and support them in the process of helping others who are trying to do what's right. And so we see here very clearly that this passage is teaching that this is, this is not just something that is just kind of some sort of little side truth in Scripture. No, it is actually, verse 15, take a look at it. It is the will of God. This is the will of God. You know, it's amazing how much a difference we can make by doing the right thing. In verse 15, it says, this is the will of God. And this is the reason why it's the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You and I, by doing the right thing, you and I, by doing good, can put to silence those who are foolish, who are ignorant, who are doing the wrong thing. We can make a difference. I'm thinking about our story uh, when we moved into this neighborhood 27 years ago. This was a very lawless area of town. <laughs> there was a lot of bad things that took place 27 years ago. In fact, we were actually made fun of. There was a lot of mockery going on by even other Christians and churches. How foolish was gospel light? How foolish was this ignorant pastor who would establish a church in such a terrible area? We had nine homicides within 12 city blocks of where we planted this church in the past 12 months from the day we planted September the, uh, June the 7th, 1992. Nine homicides. And they were... It was a quite, quite interesting little beginning, if you will. We had 11 windows broken into the first year. We had 24 break-ins. We had, oh, excuse me, excuse me, 11, I'm sorry, 11 break-ins and 24 windows broken. I'm sorry, I had that uh, mixed up. And I remember one morning I was in my little mobile home on Jaguar Trail. I don't know if anybody's been here long enough to have maybe had the privilege of eating dinner in my little mobile home in the middle of the woods when we had ticks and fleas and all kinds of, I'll never do that again. Anyway, oh, chiggers, oh, I didn't know where chigger was till I moved on Jaguar Trail. But anyway, and then I remember one night I was sleeping and I got a phone call. It was about four o'clock in the morning 
And it was the gentleman who owned the little grocery store on the corner of 3rd and South. Does anybody remember the little grocery store by chance on the corner of 3rd? Anybody that long residence? Son, you remember? Wesley, I would imagine you would remember. Okay, raise your hand then. Thank you. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> so I can pick on Wesley. He's known me for 40 years. So that, the owner of that grocery store called me. He lived in the back of the store. He said, hey, preacher. I didn't know you guys were moving out. I said, we're not moving. It was Saturday night. I go, no, we're not moving out. He goes, oh, okay. I just wondering because somebody's moving all your sound system out of the building right now. I said, oh, no, that's not supposed to be happening. So we called the police. They came. Long story short, we had church for the next six Sundays without a sound system. And it was across the street. We finally, they, the sheriff's department said, look, we, we, we've got to do some different things and, you know, fingerprinting and all that. Finally, six weeks later, we, we actually knocked on the door of the people across the street and all of it was right in the, their living room, just sitting right there. <laughs> this is where we started. This is the environment we were in. It was tough. But can I tell you 27 years later, not just 27 years later, but every year it would get better. Every year it seemed as if the neighborhood would become more vibrant and alive and, and people began to love and respect the church and people from our church family moved in. I remember the one year I preached a sermon about moving into the neighborhood and we counted after 10 years, 28 families that had moved within 12 blocks of this church. I still am one of those families who live a few blocks away from where I'm standing and it's amazing the difference this community has experienced as a result of people that are just doing the right thing, just doing good, law-abiding citizens that are, that, are, that are making a difference because of the, doing the right thing. And so I want to draw your attention to that fact and show you how that we can make a difference and put the silence, the ignorance of foolish people when we do what's right. I want you to notice verse 16. It says, live as people who are free. You know, when we sang a moment ago, that song, Death Was Arrested, I, I got excited because I cannot read that. Live as people who are, and here's how I want to read that. Live as people who are free, free, forever we're free. I want to just sing the song right with the passage. Because when you understand the fact that you're free, you will hold on to your freedom. But for some reason, sometimes we, we, I think, misunderstand what kind of freedom he's talking about here. We're not talking here about the home of the, the, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Sometimes I feel as if we equate the freedom spoken of here in Scripture as the freedom we have as citizens of the United States of America. But this is a freedom that every believer in Christ has. And he says, hold on to that freedom. Live as people who are free. Notice he goes on to say here, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Don't use your freedom to do what's wrong. Oftentimes we have found in an effort to not be religious or in an effort to you know, kind of swing the pendulum towards a grace-driven ministry, we have seen so many almost abuse this freedom and cover up that which they've done wrong in the name of freedom. But that's not what he's speaking of here. He says, don't live as people who are free. 
by, by being using freedom as a cover-up, but live as servants of God. Because who the Son sets what? Free. Is free forever. We're free, free forever. Amen. <laughs> it's a freedom that you and I have in Christ. And so when we're mistreated by a governmental authority and we're living as people who are free, we've got to remember that, that ultimately we belong to Christ and he will prevail. Vengeance is his, says the Lord. We live as followers of Jesus Christ who can never really lose our freedom. You understand that? There's no way you can lose your freedom. Maybe it depends on how you view freedom, how you define freedom. Maybe some define freedom, they base it upon their money. And so therefore we feel as if we're losing our freedom based on the laws of the land or the taxes or who gets in the office of the presidency. And, and we're concerned about you know, our money affecting our freedom, but our money does not affect our freedom in Christ. Our way, our government regulations, all of the oppression of governments across this world affecting a believer. Listen, when you are free in Christ, you are free indeed and free forever. This is a freedom that we must understand according to the scriptures. Hold on to your freedom. And then I want you to notice next in verse 17. Again, just going verse by verse. It says to honor everyone. Now, hold the phone right there. <laughs> this one for me was difficult. Honor everyone. As I read that, I thought, man, there's not a lot of wiggle room here. You know what I mean? I was really hoping it would say something like this. I mean, to me, it would just be a lot easier if God would have said, honor almost everyone. Would have been a whole lot easier for me. Or if it would have said, honor, you know, those who you agree with. Honor those you feel comfortable with. Honor those who align with your belief system. But it doesn't. It says, honor everyone. I find that to be somewhat crazy, to be honest. But it's not. And I, and I really tried to, I tried to get out of this one. I went to every commentary I could looking for someone who would give me just a way for it not to be everyone. Surely it doesn't mean that in the Greek Surely there's a way that it doesn't mean that Matthew Henry or Spurgeon or somebody out there is going to give me a, a, another angle on this. Nobody participated in helping me with this at all. Honor everyone. And then it goes on to say to love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. These are, are the specifics of honoring everyone. He says, don't forget now, in honoring everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. The emperor. That was Nero. There's so much about Nero. I just, this morning I thought, well, I'll just Google Nero for a moment, you know, because I just came up with this thought this morning as I was freshening up the message. And, and I realized, wow, when Peter said that, he was talking about a guy born in A.D. 37, who put his own mother to death, killed his own mom. He divorced his wife, executed her, married another woman, a mistress. Two years later, destroyed Rome by fire, for which he was mostly blamed for, diverted that blame to other Christians. That turned into persecution of Christians, which resulted in the death, the cruel death of hundreds and thousands of Christians. <laughs> in AD 65, Nero was believed to have kicked his wife, the, the mistress wife, to death. And then his next wife, uh, he executed. I mean, he just married, somebody, married women and killed them. 
Honor the emperor. That's what he's talking about. And so I began to think about this. And I'm going to be honest with you. My mindset has revolutionized. When it comes to living a life of submission, the one thing you've got to understand is this principle that is so hard to grasp. Honor everyone. What does it mean to honor everyone? It means to show respect to everyone. I find this very convicting. Do you? I find this very convicting. Just being transparent with you this morning and being open about this. I want to make sure you understand how this will revolutionize your idea of submission to authority and respecting authority, not agreeing with everyone, not, not necessarily condoning or, or, or uh, supporting everyone, but respecting everyone. So let me give you the five toughest groups of people that I've found difficult to honor. And the first one, I've got a little testimony connected to it. Number one, I, I, I found it difficult to honor people of different faith groups. I'm going to be very transparent because, again, I want you to know a little bit about what God has done in my life, how he's changed me, how he's, how he's made a, just such a great difference in my life when it comes to other believers. Because, you know, it was really tough. I mean, for so long, we, were, we had isolated ourselves, and honestly, we, not maybe even intentionally, but we had showed great disrespect. We, we, we wouldn't return phone calls from other other religious groups that maybe weren't just like us. I remember my dad, I grew up Catholic, and I, I'd hear a lot, a lot of hateful preaching about Catholics and awful things. And I used to debate my dad about these things. My own dad, I would show disrespect looking back on it, to be honest. I would just repeat things I would hear from other preachers about other religious groups and find myself somewhat hateful, to be honest, looking back on it. And it affected our church, and as God began to move me to honor everyone, not agree. I don't agree with Catholicism and everything, but I do respect them. I show honor to them. You say, well, I heard you're friends with the priest across town. Yeah, I'm really good friends with the priest across town. Not because I agree with everything about Catholicism, but because I'm told to honor and respect everyone. Amen. I don't agree with everything about every other denomination. I don't align. I, someone someone uh, the other day was, uh, you know, saying I, I shouldn't listen to any music. We shouldn't listen to any music from, from Hillsong and because of, of this doctrinal difference. So let me say number two. The second thing is this. We should, I, I find it difficult sometimes to honor those who are in theological error. It seems as if a lot of Christians have a hard time when they don't agree theologically with everyone, with that group or that church or that person, that they have to break fellowship and even debate to the point of of getting ugly and and distancing themselves from someone. You know what I love about our church? Did you know that many folks at our church theologically believe different about certain things, not about the main things, not about the virgin birth and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and not about the tenets of the faith and the Baptist faith and mission, the things that we hold true and, and, and there's no negotiating, but we do sometimes find ourselves theologically opposed in certain areas. But do you know what I sense at our church? That we have great respect for one another when we differ. Isn't that a good thing? Is that what we're after here? Isn't it okay that we can have some differences and even think someone is in error? Or maybe I just don't agree with that. I think, but yet we can show respect. 
That's difficult. That's not easy. But it's what's required of us. Thirdly, the liberal media. Oh, how hard is that? Let me tell you the best way to make sure you do this. Just don't watch the news. Amen. How oh, many have just lately said, man, I can't even watch the news. It just, yeah, you drive me crazy. You know, it's hard, especially the one with three letters. Anyway, sorry. I just disrespected them. I just went against my whole sermon. Sorry. <laughs> See, it's not easy. I told you it's tough. It's tough to do this. Oh, man. Sometimes I don't agree. I, I don't see eye to eye. But I do need to honor them and respect them, not support them. Ungodly leaders in the government. I, I don't necessarily validate them. I, I, I don't have to approve of them. I don't have to agree with them. I don't have to vote for them, but I do have to respect them. And then finally, and I mentioned this last week, but I'm throwing this up there just because it kind of covers everybody else. And that is the guy at the drive through window. You know, the guy that gives you the cold fries and when you throw them back in the window at him and say, you know, I paid for warm fries, give me some. You know what I mean? The guy at the Walmart checkout station, the Kroger station, the waitress that serves the green beans and they're not piping hot. She deserves your respect. There's a way to handle that. There was, there's a way to honor people when you've been done wrong. When you disagree. When you feel like you've been treated unfairly. Honor everyone. This is a wake-up call. It is, isn't it? This is not, this is not easy. This, is, this can be difficult. This can be challenging. But we are admonished in Scripture to submit to government authority. And I'll be honest, sometimes... You know, when I come across these passages, I, I, I already know ahead of time how difficult it is to, to make this a Sunday morning sermon. But I'm doing my very best to make sure that you sense the passion and, and love that I have for our church to, to know the whole truth and to let the truth set us free. The second thing I see here is an admonishment to submit to employment authority. In verse 18, obviously the text here is, is different in a sense that Peter is writing in a, in a, in a culture that, that has slavery. Now, in no way does the Bible condone slavery. It just regulates slavery. And we understand that. We understand that the Bible, I mean, you can just read the scriptures and see it is anti-slavery. And yet, it says here that servants should be subject to their masters with all respect. The closest thing I think we can come to in our culture, to understand that would be when you and I have a boss and we are working for someone as an employer, and as an employee. They're our employer. They're ahead of us. They're, they're in charge. They're over us. And sometimes they're gentle and good, aren't they? Anybody ever worked for one of those? I mean, it's just like, yeah, you know, Caroline, right? you better raise your hand. <laughs> it's Ralph. And, uh, you know, the guy that understands and says, oh, you go home early. It's okay. I get it. You need to get some rest. And, or the gentleman who always, you know, he pays you a little bit more than maybe, you know, minimum or, or what you're worth or, or whatever. I mean, he, he's always thinking of you and working towards your best interest. He's good. He's gracious. He's kind. Those are fun to work for, aren't they? In fact, that's easy. It's really easy to work for someone when they're good. It's really easy to work for someone when they're gracious and gentle, it says. 
but also to the unjust. I mean, the Bible says here, submit to both. The ones that are good and gentle and the ones that are unjust. The guy that, when you're not feeling well, says, go in the bathroom and get back out here. <laughs> the guy that says, you know, hey, listen, I, 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 no excuses. And, and, and when, you're, when you need to be home for something, he says, no, you need to work extra hard. Whatever it is that, that you are experiencing with an unjust employer, he says, I want you to submit to them. For this is a gracious thing a gracious thing. When you're mindful of God and you understand that one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. Something about submitting to an employment authority, even when it's unfair, that God says, if you will do this, I'll help you. I'll give you the strength to do it. When you're treated unjustly, when you're treated unfairly, when, you're, when you suffer unjustly, it is gracious in the sight of God. The idea here is that when you are dealing with an unjust authority, where you work, and you submit to that, and you keep on doing what you know is right, it gives you favor with God. That's the idea. That's what it's teaching. That God says, hey, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. I'll take care of it. You just do the right thing. It's gracious in my sight. You've got favor with me. And I was thinking back when I had my first ministry job. And, man, it was difficult because my wife and I, we went out to California right out of college and moved everything out there. And we were given this list of things that were to be our job descriptions. And none of it happened. It was difficult. We were told there was going to be 150 teens and it was a healthy youth department. We got there, there was one. One. Not 150, not 149, not 130, not 120, not 110. One. They, they, they made my job description the choir director. You think you're talking to a choir director? <laughs> oh, the scariest thing I've ever done is to lead a 50-voice church choir and not have one music class. Oh, man, you talk about looking like a fool. Listen, be thankful for Jordan Elkins. Amen? I could be leading the worship here, okay? All that to say, that's just one or two things. There were many other things. It was so difficult. I'd signed a two-year contract, and I committed to the place for two years. Maybe I should have done more research. Maybe I Nevertheless, we stuck it out. We did the right thing. Even though it was difficult, after one year, I actually went to his office and said, you know, I, I would like for you to know that we're struggling and would you consider letting me leave after one year? And he said, no, you signed a two-year contract, son. You can't leave. And I looked at him and I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Went home, told Caroline I tried, but he, he said, we can't leave. We've got to stay. So we stayed for two years. And honestly, it was the greatest decision we could have ever made. God was so gracious to us. That church even supported us for $600 a month for a whole year when we came to start this church. The only church that supported us was the church for which we really struggled with because of some things that weren't fair. I remember being a, 
as a young person working for, for a, uh, an entity called Sears and, and Roebuck, who, by the way, are out of business. <laughs> anyway, and uh, obviously, <laughs> maybe they treated other people unfairly, but I, uh, I worked for Sears, and, and I remember as a, as a young person not working for Sears on Wednesday nights because I had a commitment to church, and I established that very clearly with the, the, the leadership, the boss, the, the head of the store. And he gave me Wednesdays off until some of the employees had an uprising against me. And they said, you know, look, this kid, he's a punk. You know, he's, he's a freak. He's a Christian. You know, he's a Jesus freak. And he goes to church every Wednesday night. And we have, you know, we never get off on Wednesday night to do our thing. So they asked the boss if he could intervene and make me work on Wednesday nights. And so the boss called me in. I was, I was, it was a great job. I was making really good money. And he said, listen, I need you to work Wednesday nights. And I told him that I understood and that I agreed and that I know it wasn't, it didn't seem fair. And I said, I, I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make it easy on everybody. I'm just going to step down because I've made a commitment to, you know, to my church. And it's, it's, it's part of my, my faith system. As a young person, I need to be at church on Wednesday nights. I'm just a teenager. And I've made a commitment to Christ, and that comes before this. And he said, well, you won't have to step down. You're fired. And he fired me. And so as a 16-year-old kid, I remember I didn't have a car yet. I had to call my mom to pick me up. And when she got there, I remember she said, why are you leaving work so early? I said, I got fired today, Mom. And she said, fired? What? What happened? I told her, and she said, God will bless you for that. Two weeks later, I got a call from the same boss and hiring me back to come back and work for Sears. There's a lot more to the story, but I want to just expedite at the end by saying, I worked that job. God gave me favor. He was so gracious. After I got fired, two weeks later, hired again, I worked for five years for Sears and Roebuck as a part-time salesman, 20 hours a week, making $24,000 a year as a college student. I, I, I can't tell you what that did for me to, to my studies, to my, my relationships that I had, especially when I started dating my wife, to be able to work a part-time job and make that kind of money. Now, all, I really believe that God was gracious because I did the right thing. When you do the right thing and leave it in God's hands, let God take care of it. Let God work it all out. This is what he's teaching here. You're going to be treated unfairly. There's going to be times where you are not treated fairly in the workforce. But do the right thing. Let me ask you a question. Are you handling things differently than the unsafe people at your place of employment? Think about that. Are you handling things differently? Now, you might look at me and say, well, that's easy for you to say. You work at the church, you know. Well, it's challenging, and it is. Everybody knows that when you're in ministry, it's challenging. That's why I gave you a ministry illustration. But I do understand that it's much more challenging for you. If you're working out in the world and working out in a, just a secular place of business, I get it. This is a challenge. But Jesus asks us to rise to this challenge. Look at verse 19 and 20 and 21. Pay close attention to his admonition here. He says in verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 2, For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and you're beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good 
and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this, this is hard for me to read, church, but it's true, it's here. For to this you have been called. We've been called to this. Church, we are living, we are, we are attempting to live as righteous people in a very unrighteous world. We're attempting to live as people who follow Christ in a world that is not following Christ. And he says that he's left us an example. And the example is, is Christ, that we might follow in his steps. And this is convicting. So convicting because I recognize here that what Scripture is telling me is that this is impossible. I can't do this. There's no way that I can do what God's asking me to do apart from the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. But with God's supernatural power, I have the ability to handle this. We can do this together. It seems impossible. It is impossible without Christ. But with Christ, we can follow in his steps and do as Jesus did. And what exactly did Jesus do? Well, number one, look at verse 22 and 23 as we finish the, ver- the text. It says, first of all, that he did nothing to provoke injustice. Nothing. Look at verse 22. It says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, that song we sang a moment ago, Man of Sorrows. Wow. That song contained the majority of this teaching in the rest of the passage. When he was reviled, it says he reviled not again. He reviled not return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Wow. He did nothing to provoke injustice. How hard is that? How difficult could that be? Without Christ, we're unable to do this. But with the supernatural ability of God, we can do this together. We can, we can participate in what Christ participated in when he died on the cross for us. Aren't you glad he did not call 10,000 angels? Aren't you thankful today that Christ endured all of that for you and for me, knowing that he, he, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. It's amazing, isn't it? That's our Savior. And then it says here in verse number 23 that he entrusted himself to God. That's the only way you can do this. When he was reviled, he did not revile and return. But when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Remember, God's in control. God is sovereign. God will get revenge. God is going to take care of us. And in the end, praise God, we win. Amen. When it's all said and done. We win. Thank God for that. He is coming again. He will judge justly. He is on the throne. He's not coming off that throne. He'll rule and reign forever. Until then, let's do nothing to provoke injustice. Let's entrust ourselves to God, shall we? And then finally, I want you to notice verse 24. And by the way, next Sunday, we're going to be talking through verse 24 and 25. That's our text. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He died the death that he died and that we deserved. He died that death that we deserved, that we might be made righteous. Isn't that amazing? We're going to talk about that next week and how that looks. 
But you know what I think it reveals to us this week? A wake-up call. <laughs> a massive wake-up call. And everybody here this morning, I would pray, would understand that one of the things we understand this morning is that we have a very long way to go in understanding this thing of following Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I do. I, I want everyone here to know that I, I admit I have a long way to go. I don't stand before you this morning having, having some sort of a, you know, a, a premium on this truth. I find myself struggling at times with these things. I find myself struggling with submitting to authority at times in my life and being what, and honoring everyone. And, and I just want you to know that I'm, I'm determined to understanding what Peter was writing here when he said, submit, submit to government authority, submit to those that employ us. We've been called as followers of Jesus Christ to embrace injustice. That's hard. That's hard. That's why this is a wake-up call. And you know, these truths are not easy sometimes to receive, but they're needed. And can I say a word in closing to all of those in our audience who are students and young adults still living at home with your parents? Could I ask you to consider this truth of submitting yourself to your parents' authority and entrusting it to God? Of submitting yourself to the authority God's given you in the classroom? Well, I pray that tomorrow morning, because of this message, Gospel Light Christian School will be different. I pray Gospel Light Christian School would be different. I pray that wherever you go to the public schools, if you attend a public school, that it'll be, you, the teacher will notice just the way that you are respecting her or him, addressing them, treating them. They ask you, what's gotten into you? Just say, well, I went to church Sunday. Preacher preached on 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and following. That's what I tell you, I'm sorry. Things are going to be different. Those are healthy conversations, kids, to have with those that God's put in our authority. They really are. We need a revolution of respect in our country. Our policemen are disrespected by so many. It's getting worse. And I believe that Christians need to rise up and determine to set the example and follow in the steps of Christ. We've got to do the right thing, church. And when we do the right thing, guess what? We see a neighborhood like, you know, I'll tell you a little story here. About a month ago, and I haven't told anybody this yet, but a couple of church members, but the city called me downtown. In fact, Jeremy, you picked me up from that meeting. That was when you first started. And did you drop me off too? No, my wife, did you drop me off? To, you dropped me off to pick me up. The city called me and they said, Eric, we want to meet with you. And I said, what about? And they said, well, just come down to city hall. So I, Jeremy dropped me off and I told him to come back and pick me up in about an hour, hour and a half. And I sat with the, some of the leaders in our city and some people they had brought in to do some they're trying to do some things to, to make the city better, to make, obviously the downtown's a lot better, right? But now they're trying to extend that to the neighborhoods. And they said, you know what? You are the largest landowner. Gospelite is the largest landowner of anybody in, this, in the inner city. And, and I quote, we're amazed 
at the difference that your church community has made in that, in that area. What can we do to come alongside you and help it to get better? And what have you done that we can share with other neighborhoods? Because we, we're just amazed at how, how different it is down there. Church, that's what I'm talking about. We can be a testimony. Yes, we can make a difference. You know, it, it would have been... It would have been easier, smoother, nicer. We'd have probably had a lot less cars broken into if we'd have gone outside the city limits. I get it. We put up with a few things and it's not there yet. But I will tell you this. We've made a difference by doing the right thing. And I pray that we'll continue to do that wherever we work. Tomorrow when you go to work, make a difference. Be a testimony to the unsaved at your workplace. Take this passage seriously. Thus saith the Lord. This is God's word. Let's do our best to embrace it. If you need to come this morning, trust Christ as your Savior.